0: As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Yo. Technology. What is it all about?
1: And I think that's actually a really important lesson. Like... Finding the right business partner like two great people with an average idea can do incredible things. An amazing idea with average team has no chance of success.
0: Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley Weekly Podcast from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. This week, we're gonna take a deep dive inside the world of small business. Trust me, you'll want to hear this one. What we're doing is looking at how one company is trying to keep lots and lots and lots and lots of businesses from quote unquote growing. Out of business, not going out of business, growing out of business. What am I talking about? I'm talking about how small businesses typically don't get paid for their goods or services for anywhere from 30 to 60, even 90 days. And then when the economy slows down, it gets even worse. Sometimes suppliers can take months and months and months before they pay for anything. And for a lot of small businesses, this is can mean a lot of pain or even just lead to total collapse. And this week's guest is Lara Hodgson, and she's setting out to fix that. She is the co founder of a company called Now, a company that, as you might guess, pays companies immediately. And they take a small fee and they basically wait to get paid for the suppliers. So they basically front you the money, take a small fee, and then they get paid on the back end. And Lara's got a really kind of amazing backstory because her business partner is Stacey Abrams, who is, of course, if you're a fan of American politics, Abrams is a star of the Democratic Party on the national stage and uh, and also within Georgia, of course, a key swing state. Um, The two have worked together on a few different businesses for many, many years. And Hodgson, before she did all this, she trained as an aerospace engineer. She was in real estate. She made basketball shoes with Shaquille O'Neal. She even invented... A spill-free water bottle for babies. And that was all before launching Now. So she has just some great lessons on what works, what doesn't in startups, and also about how she and Stacy Abrams got into business, and then how she ended up starting this company based on the pain they felt in their previous business, the, the baby bottle business, the baby water bottle business. But anyway, you'll hear all about that. Tons of lessons, really interesting story and just kind of shows you that, you know, life is definitely not a straight line. Um, And she's just got a lot of uh, great, interesting stories to tell. So you're going to really enjoy this one. So I will now step aside and give you, without further ado, Laura Hodgson of NOW. Enjoy. Well, first of all, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Sure. And where are you calling in from?
1: I am in Atlanta, Georgia.
0: Atlanta, Atlanta. I have a ton of questions, but maybe we could just start by, if you could just describe kind of what now is, how old it is, what you guys are doing, and why.
1: Now really grew out of the experience that I had as a serial entrepreneur. So I had started in the past a consulting firm. I had started a... Patented spillproof bottled water for children when I became a mother.
0: Hold on, hold on. Patented spillproof bottled water. So is that like a sippy cup but in water bottle form?
1: Picture a bottled water, like you might buy Dasani, Aquafina, etc., but packaged in a way that's completely spillproof. So it had a silicone sippy top like the Camelbacks that I used to use when I did triathlons. So you had to bite on it for the water to come out.
0: Ice. Because anyone
1: who's ever handed a bottled water to a child disaster. knows that's called a bath.
0: It's, it's yes. instant disaster.
1: <laughs> it's called a bath, yes.
0: Sorry, just to pause on that for a second because I know this from experience experience. experience having two young kids especially when it's all new and all overwhelming um i don't know how many discussions i had with my wife about oh you know we should totally invent x for some (laughs) niche baby need and of course we never invented anything but you actually did it (laughs) right
1: I did well and I think it's primarily it's funny that you mentioned having this discussion with your wife because really what happened is every day I came back from being out and about with the child in the carrier and I was complaining to say it nicely to my husband about the fact that somebody had to create a spill proof bottled water for kids because whoever designed juice boxes has Mm. never had a child because they designed that perfectly to squirt you in the face as soon as you (laughs) pick it up.
0: Um so you invented that you got a patent and what happened with that business?
1: Well, so you know like a lot of entrepreneurs we started out with visions of being on the cover of Fortune and we started selling into small retailers and small distributors we went to trade shows and gift fairs and and the product sold fantastic. But all the orders were about the same size. So we started out initially selling in airports. Really great place to have a spill-proof bottled water. And then about a year into the business, we got our first big order from Whole Foods. And my business partner and I started to high five each other because we had bagged the big deal. We were on our way to the cover of Fortune. And then we had this odd realization because when we sold to small retailers, we would ship cases of product and they would give us money. It was called commerce, right? They would give us a credit card or a check. But when we started to sell to Whole Foods, we were shipping truckloads of product. And commerce didn't happen. We shipped truckloads of product. We sent an invoice and we got nothing. Mm. <laughs> and we waited and we waited and we quickly realized that net 30 is just a suggestion. We might as well write net pay us when you feel like it on the invoice right. because it took three and four months to get paid. Meanwhile, the product is flying off the shelf, so we're excited because the market loves the product. We got an email from Whole Foods that they were going to put us in more locations, more distribution centers, and we were like, well, wait a minute, time out. You, like, we haven't gotten paid for the first order yet. And they said, oh, well, you know, the payment's on the way, so Truly, we realized that we were going to grow out of business instead of go out of business, which I think is true of many companies.
0: What kind of numbers are we talking about here in terms of what you were waiting for from like Whole Foods?
1: Tens of thousands of dollars. When we were shipping a few cases, if that payment was late, it was a a nuisance, but it wasn't going to make or break us. But when you're waiting on tens of thousands of dollars as a startup... And we owed our employees, employees are odd. They don't like to be paid net 60. They like to be paid every two (laughs) weeks. And we owed our suppliers, right? And so I'm losing sleep at night because I can't pay my suppliers. Mm. I have more orders coming in, so I need my suppliers to make more. I haven't paid them yet, but that's because I haven't been paid. And so I finally realized nobody had been paid in the whole supply chain. And I was talking to one of my suppliers, and he said, Laura, you just have a working capital issue. Everyone has that. You should go get a line of credit or try factoring. And I'm an aerospace engineer by training, which is really good for rocket science jokes. And so out of that whole sentence, the part I heard the most was everybody has this problem. Right. And I remember thinking to myself, well, if everyone has this problem, the existing solutions must not be very good. So as I went and started talking to, you know, I did what he said. You should look at lines of credit. You should look at factoring. And at the end of the day, I just kept thinking, why am I the one borrowing money when I'm the free bank here to Whole Foods?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And you can't solve that by lending me more money because now I'm borrowing money at some cost greater than zero. And the dollar I just borrowed, I'm essentially giving to Whole Foods for four months for free. I did understand that that math doesn't work. Yeah,
0: yeah. That math doesn't math, <laughs> as they say.
1: Right. And so as I sat there, I was actually having lunch with my business partner, Stacey Abrams. We were sitting at lunch one day, and I was just complaining about the fact that why are we the ones having to wait when clearly Whole Foods has plenty of capital, much cheaper than mine, for sure, and... As we were having lunch, I was like, wait a minute, this restaurant never has to wait to get paid. That is so incredibly unfair. And again, I was I was bitching again, just like I was with the water bottle. And as I thought about it, and I'm gonna age myself now, but when I was growing up, my parents did not borrow money from banks unless they were buying a car or a house which they did once during my childhood their day-to-day credit came from retailers because every month my dad would get paid and my mother would go pay the thrift town bill and she would go pay the riches bill because each of those retailers gave her a little bit of credit each month and that went away that doesn't happen anymore because the credit card was invented And as soon as the credit card became prolific, you don't walk into a bar and open a tab anymore. You walk into a bar and you hand them your Amex. Yeah. Right? The show Cheers only existed because Norm had a tab at the bar. Mm -hmm. And now that you walk in and set down a credit card, the bar isn't funding your tab. Amex is or Visa is or Discover is. So if you think about it, what the credit card system did for retailers is it relieved them of the burden of being the free bank to all of their customers. And as a result, retailers exploded. There would be no Walmart or target without the credit card. Right. Cause you could never open the 10th store. If you're waiting for all your customers to pay every month, but that same thing never happened in business to business or business to government. So just like the 1970s, most Small B2B companies deliver their product and they wait and they wait and they wait until somebody decides to pay them. And what we tell them to do is go borrow money. That, yeah. that doesn't make any sense to me because I'm an engineer, not a finance person. But that was the big aha was why don't we develop a solution for small B2B companies that feels like taking a credit card, even though their customer will never use one. Because I I begged Whole Foods to pay me with a credit card. It would have solved everything. But the reason Whole Foods won't do that is they have a really smart CFO. And if he pays me with a credit card, he now owes the issuing bank. And if you don't pay it on the due date, you're assessed interest and penalties. But if you don't pay my net 30 invoice on the 30th day, nothing happens. The largest lender in the United States is not a bank. It's not SBA. It's small businesses collectively because they lend more than they ever borrow. It just looks like invoices.
0: So when was this realization?
1: That was 2010.
0: And I know who Stacey Abrams is. We have a lot of overseas listeners who may have heard of her but don't know who she is. How did you end up going to business with Stacey Abrams? And could you just give a brief overview of who she is, especially in Georgia, where she's kind of like a political superstar.
1: Well, Stacey and I met in 2004 in Leadership Atlanta. At the time, she was an attorney with the city of Atlanta. I was running a local real estate development firm. And we ended up in the same study group. And about the time that I was leaving my role, I I had just become a mother, and I had decided to leave my role to start my own business Stacey was leaving her role at the city to run for public office. She was running for the State House of Representatives in Georgia.
0: So you were about to launch the bottle business, right?
1: The bottle business hadn't quite started yet. We had the idea, right? but the idea was while she was running for office. Yeah. Got you. So the first thing Stacey and I did together is we started a consulting firm. And I looked at her and said, you're the smartest person I've ever met. We should do something together. And she said, well, you're the smartest person I've ever met. We should do something together. And then we said, what should we do? Mm. (laughs) And I think that's actually a really important lesson, like finding the right business partner, like two great people with an average idea can do incredible things. An amazing idea with average team has no chance of success. So we kind of looked at each other. We started a consulting company. She ran for office and was successfully elected and served for many years as the minority leader in the state of Georgia. She then ran for governor, was not elected, but is most well-known kind of nationally and globally for the work she's done around voter rights and making sure that people have the ability and the access to vote.
0: And she has been, for those who don't know or have not keen watchers of... Of U.S. politics. She registered a ton of people, a lot of first-time voters in Georgia, and is credited with helping turn the state Democratic just by bringing in a bunch of new, young, often people of color, people who hadn't voted before.
1: That's right. And, and Georgia was obviously a critical swing in the presidential election when it, when it flipped to right. Democratic. And so... Stacey and I both come from very different backgrounds. We have passions for impossible problems. And so as I was sitting with her during one of our consulting meetings, I was complaining about my son spilling. And that's when we decided to start Nourish. So mm. we started the bottled water company together. And then as we experienced the pain of trying to grow a company and waiting to get paid all the time, we started Now Account together.
0: And that was when?
1: We officially filed it in December of 2010.
0: Got you. And what is Now Account now in terms of like kind of high level? Where has it got to?
1: Yeah. With Now Account, we created, as I mentioned, the first payment system that allows businesses to get paid immediately in a way that feels like taking a credit card. So they don't have to turn to loans or factoring. We have now served over 800 clients and almost 10,000 of their customers. And we have accelerated over 800 million of transactions to small businesses.
0: And how does it work? So if I'm Danny's widgets, everybody loves my widgets. I can't make them fast enough, but I'm not getting paid the way I want.
1: Yeah, so you could be Danny's widgets, you could be Danny's marketing firm, you could be Danny's staffing company or ad agency or IT services, it can be a good or a service, as long as your customer is another business or government. Because if your customer's a consumer, they probably give you a credit card, and that's already been solved. But if you're you're delivering your good or service to another business or government, what we tell our clients is, you deliver the good or service, if they're willing to pay you with a credit card, you should take it. But if they're not, and they say, I'd like net 30 or net 60 or net 90, oftentimes they don't ask, they dictate, right? You will be net 90 and you'd like to get paid immediately, you simply upload the transaction to your NOW account. So you have a NOW account, you upload it on the app, you get paid the full amount of the invoice within two days, minus a 3.5% merchant fee. So for you, it feels exactly like your customer handed you a visa. You book your revenue as cash, and you book that 3.5% expense. There's no liability ever booked on your balance sheet, which you would have to book if you had a line of credit or you factored. Your customer still gets the invoice from Danny's Widgets. It still says net 30 They're still going to pay whenever they feel like it, which is not in 30 days. Statistically, a net 30 invoice pays in about 55 days. When they get ready to pay that invoice, they're still going to make the check or the ACH or the wire out to Danny's widgets. But the remittance address is a lockbox that we control. So the beautiful thing is both you and your customer get exactly what you want. You get paid immediately, so you have no accounts receivable. You can use your own revenue to fund the growth of your business without taking on debt. Your customer, nothing's changed. They still get an invoice. They still pay when and how they feel like it. The only thing that changes is the remittance address they use is a lockbox at a bank that we control.
0: So it falls to you to chase people who aren't paying?
1: Yes and no. So what's interesting is when we built Now Account, we really studied how the credit card system works behind the scenes in terms of managing risk using data and so we will send out a statement to your customer at the end of every month that has danny's widgets at the top and simply lists the invoices that are outstanding we are not trying to get them to pay faster or pay any differently than they normally would we know they're going to pay they're just going to pay late And so we have the ability to wait longer because A, we have much cheaper capital because we built a, a securitization vehicle just like the credit card system. B, we have other ways to manage risk like insurance and other things that protect us if there is a loss that no small business could ever afford to have. So we've essentially aggregated the benefits that large corporations tap into for the benefit of the thousands of small businesses that we work with.
0: I see. (laughs) This reminds me of my very first job out of college. I worked for a dot-com and this was back in the 2000 when it was like the glory days.
1: Dot-com craziness. Dot-com
0: craziness. (laughs) I was fresh out of college. I got a job at a company called sparks.com. They're an online paper greeting card store, but all of their vendors were small kind of boutique card makers. And I was hired. And then the woman who did accounts payable disappeared, (laughs) just disappeared one day. And they're like, can you sort out 22 year old who has no idea what you're doing? All of these files. And I opened her desk and it was just a morass of past due bills from all these companies, which is Funny, this discussion reminds me of that. It was all these little companies who were like, hadn't been paid for months and months and months. Right. And I was just kind of stunned that like I would call them up and they would be one really angry. And they <laughs> hadn't really done anything aside from just send notices. I was like, why aren't you suing this company? You know, it was, it was just a little, it was just a, a small glimpse into kind of how this actually works when you talk about net 30 actually being paid, not in 30 days, but in 60 days.
1: Well, and, you know, these days, especially with the economy the way it is, large companies will often require net 120, which I I don't know how you can say that. Yeah, I don't know how you say that with a straight face. That's like consignment. But I can remember when I had Nourish and I was selling to Amazon And I remember I got a letter in January saying, your product is fantastic, it's selling so well, we're going to put you in more distribution centers. By the way, our net 30 terms are now net 60, period. So I wrote them a note back saying, I'm so glad to hear that the product is being well received. By the way, my wholesale price, which was $26.99 a case, is now $29.99 a case. And they called and said, We can't accept a unilateral price change. And I said, but you started it. I I felt like my, I felt like my son, right? He started it. I said, well, well, you started it. And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, when you go from net 30 to net 60 for a small business at my cost of capital, you've just raised prices on me. And I don't think large companies think about it that way because they live in a world that always has cash right Mm -hmm. (laughs) so so I always joke when people say cash is king I'm like well flow is queen so in the word cash flow the, the the flow part is just as important and if you've ever played chess you can't win without the queen yeah so my cash in your account is not doing me a whole lot of good
0: voiceover describes what's happening on your iphone screen voiceover on settings so you can navigate it just by listening Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Do we have any idea where this the Net30 model comes from? Is it is something that is antiquated that came from another time? You know, like a lot of things I feel like where you think about now, you're like, oh, there's no reason we do that now. It's just something became so because of some other circumstances which is now dra- dramatically different, but we still do it in the old way. Do you know what like the origins of that?
1: We do know the origins, and it's very ironic. So the origins of Net30 is it was a sales tool. It helped you sell more things. Uh-huh. So think about, there's the old cartoon Popeye, and he would always say, I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. Yep. Right? So this idea that you would buy something and pay later, let the customer pay later, encourage them to buy more, right? So salespeople would use this concept of net 30, well, I'll give you net 60. And it was a way to close the deal I see. or to negotiate a larger order. Because if I gave you longer to pay, you might order more product because you had longer to turn it. Before you had to pay. Unfortunately, this wonderfully innovative sales tool got turned on the very salespeople that, you know, that were using it and it became more of a weapon for the customer because of the power imbalance. So if two companies are about the same size, then the net terms are kind of a negotiation. But let's be honest. If you're a small business selling to a large corporation, it's not a negotiation. Right, It's just their way of extracting more value.
0: And what are you seeing right now? You mentioned the economy, and it's really interesting. We're trying to figure out what is happening. And out here in California, especially in Silicon Valley, where things went crazy during the pandemic, now they've gone into reverse at least somewhat. (laughs) Um, We've had tons of big waves of layoffs, and the mood here is quite dour. But it's unclear what's happening in the rest of the economy. I'd love to get a sense. I mean, you guys are seeing you guys are right there on the kind of the front of it, what you're seeing.
1: We're right at the point of commerce. Exactly. That's right. We're at the we're right at the point of transaction. So you know, it's interesting when the pandemic hit, I would say around June of 2020, we saw a large increase in the days that it took an invoice to get paid. Yeah. Right. And I think that was an initial anytime there's fear in the market companies rightfully so hold cash, hold cash right? Yeah. So they'll, they'll wait 10 more days to pay. And then I think what also happened during the pandemic is it took a while for people to get used to working remote. So some of what was delaying payments was just the fact that the accounts payable person wasn't in the office. And so they had to kind of figure out how to, to do these day-to-day tasks. So as we came through 2021, I have to say our days that dollars were outstanding came down to the lowest it had ever been. Oh, wow. I think people sort of, they, they sort of digested the pandemic, realized it wasn't, you know, sort of the end of the economy, got used to being more efficient at working remotely. And so things were really humming. I will say in the last couple of months, we have seen invoices that typically paid in less than 30 days are falling into that 30 to 60 But we're not seeing an increase in invoices going beyond 90 or 120. And so what that means, that's good news for all the people that have, you know, sort of a dire outlook. What that means is that there's not a real credit weakness. It's not that people are sort of going bankrupt and not paying. They are taking a little bit longer. And that's probably, you know, sort of traditionally trained CFOs being prudent and sort of delaying flow. But it's not being delayed too much. And I think part of that is if you look at the current economic situation, whether you call it you know a potential recession or not, businesses and individuals, quite frankly, have stronger balance sheets than they've ever had mm. going into a downturn. So I think what that means is while companies are slowing payment a little bit to be prudent, They're not risky from a credit perspective because they have a strong balance sheet. The other thing that's causing some of the slowness in payment is the layoffs you mentioned. I mean, people are finding themselves low-staffed, and so maybe you used to have a full-time accountant and now you have a part-time bookkeeper and they're only in on Fridays, so payments only go out on Fridays. But I will say when I look at our clients and they span the entire U.S. economy, I'm not seeing a huge drop in... The amount of invoices or the amount of work that they're getting. So, so I don't see people scrambling for work. I think some of the layoffs may be a correction from overhiring during the pandemic. But I don't, I, I don't have as dire an outlook as you do in Silicon Valley. <laughs>
0: is um is Stacy still involved with the business, or how's that? What's the kind of breakdown there?
1: Yeah. So, you know, back in 2016, when she started to initially she was a surrogate for Hillary and she started to be pulled more onto the national platform, she stepped out of the day to day role in the company she sold some of her shares just because she wanted to allocate her capital elsewhere as she was gearing up for campaigns, but she remains on our advisory board. So she's recently helped us. We are launching tomorrow, actually, a new product called the now network, which is a curated platform to connect large procurement organizations Mm. with underrepresented businesses in an effort to get them more, more contracts and more revenue. And then Stacey also, I mean, she's sort of my personal, you know, when, I, when, sometimes when you get so caught up in the day-to-day of the business and you need somebody outside to like give you perspective, she's my person that I call in the middle of the night. She's the only other person that I know is awake. <laughs> <laughs> our first company was called Insomnia because neither one of us sleep. We can't turn our brains off. And I used to email her at two in the morning and expect a response.
0: Right, 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 right. You mentioned earlier, you're an aerospace engineer. I am. So you're an aerospace engineer. You had a real estate company. You may have had a baby <laughs> bottle company. And now you have kind of a financing company for small businesses. Yes. Did you ever do what you were trained to do?
1: Well, you know, actually, so when I when I graduated from Georgia Tech, I worked in Japan with the Defense Department. And I quickly realized something that one of my professors told me when I was a sophomore in college. A professor told me one time that I had an engineering mind and a liberal arts personality. Hmm. And at the time, I thought that might require medication. It sounded somewhat <laughs> schizophrenic. But I later came to appreciate that I do. I have an engineering mind. I'm very analytical. You know, I can do spreadsheets in my sleep. I don't like them, but I can do them. But I'm very much a people person. I'm very much about possibilities and and juxtaposing seemingly unrelated things. And so, you know, my career path looks very much like someone tripped and spilled spaghetti on a plate. Hmm. And for many years I worried that that was a negative cuz people would say to me like you need to focus. And it took me several years to gain the confidence to respond back that that is fantastic advice for somebody else and not for me. Right. Because one of my superpowers is the ability to take two things that don't have any obvious relation and put them together to drive innovation. So if you narrow me into one area of focus, you've taken away all the stimuli that I need to connect unrelated ideas. And so, you know, yes, I've even I started a footwear company with Shaquille O'Neal. I've done a lot of different things, but in every case it was taking a business model from somewhere else and applying it in an area that had never been applied before. Plus, I think I have unmedicated ADD.
0: <laughs> so hold on. Just on the shack, I'm a big basketball fan. What is this company you started with Shaquille O'Neal?
1: So I started a company called Dunk. So I don't know if you remember, it was called dunk.net, which was very clever at very the early clever, days of the internet. Clever. And it was really, we had teamed up with three of Nike's first employees and we built a facility in Macau to do just-in-time manufacturing of custom footwear. So you could go online and you could pick the outsole and the midsole and the upper and the color and the logo. And it was a little bit, well, actually not a little bit, it was a lot ahead of its time. That facility is still used today by FootJoy and of course Nike has their Nike ID program. Yeah. But that was the concept was to design your own shoes.
0: What year was that?
1: Oh, wow. That was so I I got my MBA in 98. That was 2000-2001.
0: And how did you end up hooking up with Shaq?
1: So coming out of business school in 1998, I joined a firm called IXL. This was the early days of the internet when people were building websites. And that was about as innovative as it was. So at IXL, I ran the retail and consumer products group. And Shaq's agent, Leonard Armado, had come to us with this idea of a just in time custom. It was it was sort of like the Dell model of manufacturing for footwear. And they hired IXL to write the business plan. So my team did that. and then I pitched it to some of the venture capitalists that were all around IXL at the time. and we raised the money to build the facility. And then they said, okay, you you know, you know helped write the plan. You helped raise the money. You should come run the company. And so I joined the founder, Shaq's agent, uh, to run that business. And I also am an avid basketball player. So I ran track in college. I was a heptathlete, but basketball was my high school sport. I've always loved it. And my husband is a huge basketball fan. So just the idea of working with Shaq and some of the other athletes yeah. was amazing.
0: Did you ever get to play with Shaq.
1: So I I worked out at the gym. He did. You know, typically when you're around Shaq, he picks you up. Yeah. <laughs> it's not not so much dribbling the basketball, but you know he will literally like pick you up. But he used to come to our office all the time and look over my door. Shaq is you know he is an incredible person. He's got you know just sort of he's very playful. Yeah. Um, but he is incredibly bright mm-hmm. and he loves technology. He had an avid studio in his house. He used to do his own video editing. He did a lot of work with boys and girls clubs around getting laptops in the hands of children. So um, it was always fascinating to work with him.
0: When you guys started the Now company, did you raise venture capital for that?
1: We started out really doing friends and family initially. And then we brought in a private equity firm called Virgo that's out in your neck of the woods on the West Coast. And so they've been our largest funder since they joined. And then we have a few other, you know, family offices, et cetera.
0: I don't need to tell you this is a very kind of male dominated world, especially in the world of investing, venture investing, private equity investing. Was that a, being two female founders? How was that?
1: Actually, it's amazing. And I thought you were going to ask the question differently. People always ask me, you know, how do you overcome the challenge of being two female founders? When I was an aerospace engineering student, people would say, how did you overcome the challenge of being one of two women in aerospace engineering at the time? And I always respond, you've asked the question wrong, because I don't view it as a challenge. Hmm. I choose for the fact that I'm different to be my superpower. And I think sometimes we have that choice, but we don't use it. And what I mean by that is, if I'm on a panel, I automatically look different. So I can either try and minimize the difference, or I can lean into the difference and make sure that you remember me. And I can tell you with great certainty, if I were to go down to Georgia Tech today Every aerospace professor remembers me because I took that risk. And it's scary sometimes, yeah. right? Because you're sort of leaning into why you're different. But Stacy and I have found that by being truly authentic and proud of the fact that we're women and not, you know, sort of taking on more of a victim mentality, that people have actually found that refreshing. And And I think the fact that I'm different and that I'm a female is my superpower. Right. I choose for it to be.
0: Right, right. So it sounds like you've done a lot of different stuff. And I'm wondering if there's one thing that sticks out that didn't work. And what's the thing that did work that you didn't think it would? Maybe that's now or that you're surprised it's working so well.
1: Well, I mean, I think nourish was the failure, right? It didn't grow the way it needed to. It grew out of business. Um,
0: It didn't last.
1: I mean, we ultimately shut it down. We had started Now Account by then. So it was like, oh, wait, we've got this other opportunity. So some people might call that a pivot. It makes them feel better. But in reality, a pivot is usually because something failed, right? I mean, you know, being basketball fans, I always laugh. I always laugh because people call any change of direction a pivot. And I'm like, you know, that's not a pivot, right? A pivot is defined by the fact that one foot doesn't move. And if it does, you lose the ball. That's called traveling. So when people often say, well, I pivoted my business, I'm like, no, you didn't. You're just wandering in the darkness. (laughs) A pivot means you know what that pivot foot is and that's your DNA that's your that's your unconditional cannot change and so for me when Nourish when it became obvious that Nourish was like on life support and we saw this opportunity with now account the question is what was the pivot foot like what did we hold tight to and You know, I grew up in a world where people would tell me you have to do what you're passionate about. And I disagree with that statement. I don't think you should do what you're passionate about. I think you have to do the so what that you're passionate about. And what I mean by that is your passion should be in the impact you're having, not on what you're doing. The what should be able to change. The impact should not. And so... What I find is when people are too anchored on what they're doing and their ego and their passion is in the what, they don't listen very well because they're like human nature is to defend your beautiful idea. But if your passion is in the impact you're having, the what can change. It doesn't matter as long as the impact is there. And for us, Nourish had always been about kind of leveling the playing field and giving those that didn't have resources access to resources. In that case, it was children, right? Children who didn't have access to clean water. With NOW Account, it's about leveling the playing field for small businesses and underrepresented businesses who can't take that big contract because they can't wait 60 days to get paid. Yeah. And if we can relieve small businesses of the burden of being a free bank to all of their customers, then the whole economy benefits from that because a rising tide lifts all ships. You know, Nourish was the failure, but it led to the greatest success.
0: Right. On that point around focusing on the impact rather than the thing that is getting you to that impact, did that ever lead you to a point where you're like, actually, I don't really like the day-to-day that I'm doing? But, but, but it's getting me to an important place, but like this job kind of sucks or this company sucks or, you know what I mean? Like, cause I think it's a really interesting thing that a lot of people, especially on this podcast, you know, you have a lot of very, very, very passionate founders and a lot of them are focused on impact and a lot of them are focused on this is the thing that I love and I've turned it into a business but it's oftentimes it's hard to merge those.
1: You know, it's interesting. I think that most of us, even as children, when we're good at something, people encourage us to do more of For it, sure. right? If you're good at bouncing a ball, people tell you to do more of it. I was good at math and science. People told me I should be an engineer. And I think it takes some time and some lessons learned and some wisdom to realize that sometimes what you're really good at and what you love are not the same thing. And that's okay, because most of us are good at multiple things. And the fact that you're good at something doesn't mean you love it. So I am a perfect example. I am really good at spreadsheets. I don't like them. I'm really good at finance. I don't like it. Now, that's funny because I run a fintech company. Right. But I don't love finance. I don't wake up every day and love finance. What I love is using finance to improve something in the world. Right. To allow small businesses to create jobs, to create generational prosperity. Finance is just the mechanism for that. But I don't love finance. Right. It's just a tool that I use to have the impact I want. And impact doesn't have to be social and I mean, impact can be making money. But I think if you focus on the outcome and you're open to the the mechanism and the how changing, it makes you much more mentally flexible and it actually helps you enjoy your job more. Right. I mean <laughs> I mean, if I woke up every day and said, Wow, you know, if I don't like Doing this calculation, I'm not going to have a good day. I'd have yeah. a lot of bad days. Yeah. <laughs> but I always just keep my eye on why I'm doing those things, mm. right? And and I can do a task that I absolutely don't like. But then a client calls and says, I tripled my business because of you. I hired 10 new people because of you. And that task didn't matter anymore.
0: I was going to say, do you, and maybe that is the exercise. But I was like, is there an exercise that gets you to center yourself? In that keeping your eyes on the prize, so to speak, or is it just kind of getting that sense of like getting those calls like that? Because again, the day to day, it's really easy to just get in the weeds. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I think there's two tools that I use. The one that I use to keep myself sort of focused on the goal is is a window so most of us have windows somewhere in our house Mm -hmm. or in our office or whatever and if you stare out the window and you're looking at whatever's in the distance whether it's a tree or a building or whatever and it's incredibly clear you don't see the window right the window is invisible but the minute i tell you there's a window there and you focus your eyes on the window you see it what's in the distance is blurry yeah And so you always have to remind yourself, like, sometimes we get so caught up in the mechanics of the window, right? Like, well, this is the way he's doing it, and that's not the way I would do it, and blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, who cares, right? Like, it really doesn't matter as long as both of them get you to the tree that's in the distance, The other thing that I often do, I'm a big to-do list person. I'm one of those people that if I do a task and it wasn't on my to-do list, I write it down just so I can cross it off because it's (laughs) like therapeutic to scratch through something. And so I always tell people, if you look at your to-do list on a Monday, hopefully by Friday it's gotten shorter, although it's never done, right? Because you keep adding to it. If you look at your to-do list every Friday over about three or four weeks, The same stuff is always there. You don't like it. (laughs) So like if your Wednesday lunch cancels and you find an hour in your day, you don't do those things. You choose to fill that time with the things you love. So for me, if I have an empty hour that shows up in the middle of the week, I will talk to a customer, talk to a partner, talk to an investor. I love visualizing right designing new product new service etc i don't go do my spreadsheets yeah. <laughs> those are always there on friday because <laughs> i have to do them the key is to find people on your team who do on monday what you leave to friday <laughs> right <laughs> who actually like to do those things right otherwise they'll never get done
0: fascinating well look thank you so much for taking the time i think it's a really interesting kind of Your whole story is interesting and what you guys are doing now is really interesting because, again, I think it's like this kind of mundane part of business that I imagine nobody going into business even thinks about and then they're confronted with it and they're like, oh, this is problematic. This is a real pain point.
1: That's right. People always look at me and say, how in the world did you come up with this? You're not a banker. And I'm like, no, a banker would never come up with this because they're too smart. They know too much about the way it's always been done. Yeah. It took Stacy and I, who did not come from a finance background, to see the opportunity and approach it more from a payments perspective because, quite frankly, we didn't understand finance.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a power to ignorance. Yes. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Laura for taking the time. I want to thank you all for your ratings and your reviews and telling your friends and your neighbors about the podcast because that's great. It's very helpful. So thank you for doing that. And if you haven't done a review, stop what you're doing. Please just do a review. Do it for me. It makes my life better. That is it for me this week. I will be writing about a bunch of stuff this weekend in the paper, so do check that out at thetimes.co.uk or pick up an actual pile of dead tree in the Sunday Times. That also helps keep me employed. So, you know, do one or the other, whatever. That is it. Have a great weekend and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.